Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, as we kick off the road to WrestleMania 37 on the Getting Over Professional Wrestling Podcast. That's right, the Silver King is here to start you on the journey to the promised land that is the biggest wrestling event of the year, WrestleMania taking place this year inside Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. And we are just a couple days removed from the WWE Royal Rumble. Longtime listeners know, hey, we have an instant analysis podcast for the Royal Rumble sitting in our directory right now. Go ahead, listen to it. Take a gander at all of our opinions from the matches and the storylines that developed coming out of that show before you listen to today's episode, which not only builds upon that, but talks about everything that happened from Raw this Monday and some straggling content that didn't necessarily fit the Royal Rumble pay-per-view from SmackDown last Friday. We do have a pretty big show as part of another strong week of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So we're not going to waste too much time off the top here. The Silver King just has a couple reminders for you. Number one, head on over to Twitter, open your account, follow us at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet every single episode live as soon as it hits the airwaves, we also send out polls. We tweet about the shows, the wrestling shows while they're going on Mondays, Wednesdays, Friday nights, and during pay-per-views as well. And we just love the banter and interaction with all of you. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. This is the number two request. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. More importantly, let other people know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. The way we grow is through word of mouth and your positive reviews. Every single one of them matters. And I greatly appreciate whenever someone takes the time to let us know how much you love this damn show. And number three, as I mentioned, we do have that instant analysis from the Royal Rumble waiting for you to listen to. If you have not, you do want to listen to that before this episode. But we also have two other big episodes from last week in the bank. My one-on-one interview with none other than the WWE Hall of Famer, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. That's there waiting for you. Really fun, good talk with Shawn and our breakdown of AEW and NXT last week's shows. Make sure you listen to that before this Wednesday night rolls around, especially considering AEW has a special beach break episode. The Silver King went ahead and did a short preview for that on the last episode. So, okay, a lot for you to listen to in addition to today's show, but I got to still tape today's show. We got to get this going. So I'm going to introduce the co-host for these WWE episodes, the yin to my yang, the Marty Jannetty, to my heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, none other than vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome back to the show. I don't know how I should feel about that. Are you about to throw me through a window here or something? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's some people that believe Marty ejected himself through the window. Others, Well, believe- yeah. And, and, and I guess there were some other things uh, not too long ago that came out about Marty Gennetti that I uh, uh, hope I'm not associated with in the future. But uh, I will say your Vince McMahon impression saying heartbreak kid. Uh, it's pretty good. It's not bad, right? I, I do. I I don't do good impressions. I'm not my dusty. Even when I'm doing like the intro with Data, it's not that great. So what the soundboard is for? I think I have Vince McMahon though. Like I, I think I can 
you know, in, in when the when the time comes when I'm jacked up to like like usually criticize him in some way or just repeat something that I've heard him say eighteen thousand times over my life. I think I got a little Vince. I think I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. All right. Well, uh, thank you for the compliment, even though I just called you Marty Gennetti. I I greatly appreciate that. Well, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini, and you can follow the Silver King, Adam Silverstein on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. Just the name inverted, very easy to find. But Chris, hey, we did so much talking about the Royal Rumble and WWE already just a couple nights ago. Let's just roll right into it. It's the main event. And before we talk about the main topic coming out of Raw, I did want to just give a brief overview of the show that we got Monday night because I saw some tweets saying they really enjoyed Raw. I didn't personally feel it was a good show, but on the same token, I didn't feel it was a bad show. It was certainly below what my expectations are for a post-Royal Rumble edition of Raw historically. It's when you really want to hit the ground running toward WrestleMania. You want to begin that momentum. To that end, Monday night, it just felt like any other show with nothing especially notable happening where you can point to it and say, okay, things are now kicking into gear. I'm starting to get really excited. It was a stronger episode than many editions of Raw we've gotten recently, especially considering the in-ring product we got, certain matches like the tag team match, There was a more consistent logic throughout the entire episode. But that's really the minimum expectation that we should expect from a wrestling television show. So in that way, it was what you would expect from a below average edition of Raw if Raw was good. It came across as above average because recently this show has been such a piece of shit. So I just felt that Raw, despite being better than it has been recently, was largely a missed opportunity to actually get me excited about WrestleMania. My feelings about the episode have kind of fluctuated a bit. I I thought it was a really rough start. The first hour, maybe the first half, I was like, is this really what we're doing coming out of the Rumble? This is just, this this is garbage. But it got better, and more things happened probably in the second half of the show that are a sign of things to come. So it it recovered, but it's not, you know, coming out of the rumble, that finish, you want to start better than that. I only went for something. And I I think I'm, I think I more appreciated what they did after the fact, as I look back on it and was more up, it was more frustrated with how they did it. So there are things happening. There are things moving forward. Uh, I just think there were better ways they could have done it. It's just weird when you have Drew McIntyre, who you've built into this really cool, badass baby face. And every once in a while, he'll come out and cut a promo like he's a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> like he's giving out gold. He gave out gold stars to the roster. Hey, guys, good job for the Royal Rumble. Everyone worked really hard and and won their matches. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like That's he, what- he should either be calling out Edge or he should be promoting himself, having just defeated and slayed Goldberg, say, hey, you know, Bill, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm the king of the mountain here in WWE. Where was the passion and energy and storyline of Drew McIntyre, this this guy who should be a conquering hero, coming out to the ring to start the show? It was so 
blasé and and lazy and just lacking passion and energy, not just him. We're going to talk about it momentarily, but Edge as well. The start of Raw was just like, it's like they didn't want to be there. It was it was very strange. And and this is this is what WWE often does with their top champion baby faces, having come up promos as if he's like, you know, locker room leader or stuff like that. And and they right. want to kind of recap and they're probably thinking, hey, this is the first raw after the rumble. We probably got a lot more people watching the rumble. They want to get back into wrestling right now. Let's start with a, a general recap type of thing and in, in, in overarching and telling a story that used to happen oh. to start it. One was like, no, we want to, we want to get going. Like we, 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 we've got a lot of momentum and energy. Let's go with it. They're trying to stop, set the story. And, and it just, it's not, it's not, I mean, Drew is, Drew is Drew. He's, he's great when he's fiery and energetic and, and wants to kick ass. And that's what people like about it. We don't need him to, like you said, just kind of be like the teacher talking to the class. Yeah, I mean, it was really like he was a teacher, like passing out gold stars and merit badges to people. It, it was it was just really strange. We'll talk about it now. Edge confronted Drew McIntyre to open Raw, but it was after McIntyre hit the ring first, which I thought was a mistake. Edge should have been out first. But McIntyre explained how great everyone did at the Royal Rumble. He recapped Edge's return and praised him for winning. Edge then criticized McIntyre for not kicking his head off, knowing that Edge is now a threat. Sheamus came out and said McIntyre carried WWE for the last year and Edge should show some respect. So I liked that part because I started thinking that, okay, maybe we're going to get an interim feud with Edge and Sheamus, you know, leading the way to McIntyre. It's a great way to keep Edge busy. McIntyre can go in a different direction. And I thought, oh, this is pretty good booking. But from there, Edge just ignored Sheamus, said McIntyre will know when he decides his challenge, like whoever he decides to go after for WrestleMania and guaranteed he'd walk out of Mania as champion. Then Edge's music hits, he walks off. And it's like silent. McIntyre turns around. Sheamus bro kicks kicks his head off without any real explanation other than like, I want the title now and just left the arena. We never saw Sheamus the rest of the show. McIntyre later was upset and betrayed. Rather than angry, he cut a promo saying Sheamus was throwing away their friendship but could get the match he wanted, and it was not specified when that would be. The, the best way I can describe all of that, and we'll talk about the main event match later involving Edge, but the best way I can describe all of this with McIntyre is just kind of depressing. There was no energy uh, from McIntyre or Edge in that opening segment. Not making the immediate challenge has me dreading that Edge will not be choosing McIntyre, and he may actually go and pick Roman Reigns considering they did announce he's going to be on SmackDown this Friday. That to me is obviously the wrong booking and incredibly disappointing if they go in that direction. It doesn't interest me and I'm sure they'll prove me wrong by putting together a good storyline if that's the direction they go, Edge and Roman Reigns. But I see no good storyline reason for it while Reigns and Daniel Bryan completely wrote itself and already had plenty of storyline built up over the last few months, not to mention dating back to the 2015 Royal Rumble, the trigger they did not pull here. As far as the WWE title goes, Chris, I have absolutely zero desire to see Sheamus in a WrestleMania title match in 2021. Hopefully, whatever he's doing with McIntyre is an interim feud for for Elimination Chamber or Fastlane or whenever, because McIntyre was really quick to accept the challenge. I don't want to see... Sheamus at WrestleMania. I don't want to see Braun Strowman at WrestleMania. 
McIntyre has already beaten Keith Lee, Bobby Lashley, and AJ Styles, though I guess maybe they could go back to Styles since he never got the one-on-one opportunity due to The Miz. But I just didn't get this at all. I thought it made McIntyre look weak. Uh, It did nothing for Sheamus. It was obvious he was going to turn at some point, but to do it without a strong, like standing over him, cutting a fiery promo, shitting on him for making him the second wheel or whatever the case, it just was, it lacked any interest. It didn't, it didn't grow my interest whatsoever in seeing that match. And like I said, I can only hope it's an interim match and not a WrestleMania feud. And, and I think it is. I, I, I think we're going to get Edge McIntyre. I think they're just dragging this out for the sake of drama. They want to float it around. I don't know. People interested. I do not. We're not getting just like we're just like I knew McIntyre was not going to lose to Goldberg. We're not getting McIntyre Sheamus at WrestleMania. McIntyre is the face of the company. I agree. With probably going to main event. They're not going to put Sheamus in, in the thing. But I, I, I like Sheamus as an interim feud before WrestleMania. And this is kind of what I go back to as stuff happened. I just didn't like the way that they did it. And like you said, there was no energy in any of that. And more than anything, Sheamus's turn meant nothing. We we spent months building up how they used to be friends back in Europe. And, and Sheamus gave him the sword and all these kinds of things. And you're waiting for a betrayal of some kind. But... It didn't mean anything. He just kicked him at the end of an opening segment and left. He didn't cost McIntyre anything. He didn't do anything that, that, that was egregious or, or uh, anything major. He just kicked him and left. And Sheamus is, I'm sorry, then McIntyre is so distraught over, I don't know what. We, we It was a couple of weeks ago. We saw them fighting just to like get their feelings out. And they loved that they were beating each other up. So I don't, I don't, and I don't know why he did this. And I'm sure they'll explain and give us a pro next week. But it's like, man, if you're going to do the, the the betrayal, you got to do it in like a big moment, you know, not not at the opening of it, not, not at the end of an opening segment. And then we never really come back to it. And then that's it. Like, that was just a really big letdown. I am looking forward to McIntyre Sheamus. I think they'll tell a good story. I, I think they'll eventually cook good promos and talk about their friendship and it'll be a good match. But just like, oh, it was just really flat. It was one of those scenarios where... You just, if you're, if you're going to do the turn, you want it to be more impactful. Yeah, exactly. And it just wasn't impactful. I almost, I shrugged at it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I knew I, they'd do that eventually. I was and, like, and this, I was like, I was like, this is, all right, this is it. This is how we're going to do it. All right. right. Th- this is not an example of, Sometimes predictable things are good. this is the opposite. It was so predictable that it would happen at some point that you're, you're like, at least when it happens, like build up to it. They're tagging and, you know, whatever. Drew tags himself in and pushes Sheamus out of the way because he's the champion. He wants to get the pinfall over whoever his challenger is going to be at Elimination Chamber. Sheamus kicks his head off at Elimination Chamber or uh, McIntyre beats whoever he beats. Sheamus comes in, kicks his head off again. Yeah. You know, now you're, oh, okay, there's heat. The next draw, now you have a feud for Fastlane. Like, that's how you do it. You don't just do it in the opening segment of Raw where it's just like, oh, okay, that's, what we're doing now. I agree with something you said earlier. Even though I'm, I am I gave a doom and gloom scenario, I don't think uh, McIntyre versus Sheamus will be the WrestleMania feud for the same reason that you mentioned McIntyre Goldberg. It's just like, they're not that stupid. They may be stupid sometimes, WWE. They're not stupid enough to go McIntyre-Sheamus at WrestleMania. Although, could they possibly do McIntyre-Sheamus-Keith Lee? 
I wouldn't be. I I think that's possible. I I I, I wondered if that was going to be a match heading into WrestleMania. Uh, obviously, Keith Lee and, and Mia Yim dealing with the COVID thing. We don't know, but uh, I, I had wondered if they would give us that triple threat instead. Because I could I could totally this. see them going with Sheamus for Elimination Chamber, and then Keith Lee helps out McIntyre. They get into a tiff. Maybe they have a match again at. Fastlane, Sheamus breaks it up with a DQ and they go with a triple threat for WrestleMania. I can totally see that. So while I I will not be that pessimistic on Sheamus at Mania, I am pessimistic that Edge is not going. I do not believe McIntyre-Edge will be the match at WrestleMania, which it 100% should be. And I don't think it will be. I think it will be. Okay, that's where we stand on February 2nd, 2021. We'll see when it is officially announced. I don't know why I said officially when it's officially, but when it's officially announced, we will uh, we'll know. We'll know who was right. Now, as far as the main event of Raw, that's where Edge came back. We had Edge versus Randy Orton. In the first hour of the show, Orton congratulated Edge on winning the Royal Rumble. To his surprise, it was a backstage segment. It was just uh, Orton into the camera, but said that he would end Edge's journey before it began in an unadvertised rematch between them on the show. It felt unnecessary to do it all of a sudden out of nowhere, let alone on Raw, as opposed to the next pay-per-view. If Edge doesn't have anything to do, if he's not going to fight Sheamus in the fantasy booking that I just gave you, then why not have, why not build up Edge and Orton for Elimination Chamber and then move on from there? At least take some time with it. But they decided not to do that. Edge finally found some passion in a backstage promo later in the show, said he would fight and beat Orton to finally get closure on their feud. Uh, Orton made his way to the ring. He had a stare down with Alexa Bliss as they passed each other on the ramp before the match. They went all in with Edge's pyro. Not quite Cody Rhodes level, but (laughs) the most in WWE for sure as of right now. Edge hit the execution early for a long two count and much later hit a flying clothesline before countering the RKO into the Edge-O-Matic. Orton did his side slam of Edge onto the announce table, slingshot into the bottom rope and the elevated DDT. But just as he was prepared to hit the RKO, nursery music chimed in, and suddenly Alexa Bliss was sitting atop the ring post with black slime pouring out of her mouth. It reminded me of, do you remember the penguin in Batman Returns? Yes. It reminded me exactly of that. Yeah, Uh, kind of. Edge hit a distracted Orton with a spear, got the win. So now that's the official end of Edge and Orton. And obviously Orton is going on with The Fiend and Bliss and... I, I mean, my expectation is they're going to push that out to WrestleMania, but I don't know how you get three more months out of that feud, but we'll find out if that's the direction that they're going to go. As far as this goes, Chris, uh, I thought, you know, Edge, people, I saw people upset that Edge was selling so much as the new Royal Rumble winner. I think it makes a lot of sense. The guy just went through a hell of a match last yeah. night. He hasn't been wrestling consistently like Orton and him playing from under was totally, he's a face. He's playing from under. That was totally fine. He ultimately got the win. I thought it was a well-wrestled match between the two. And and even though it was unadvertised and I wish they had put it on a pay-per-view, I mean, it was a very strong main event of Raw. So I thought this was one of the high points of the show. Good wrestling. The right person won, obviously. And they didn't just have the Fiend show up and the lights go out and all that. They made it just a very simple distraction for Orton. So I, I, I thought this was a positive on what was, like I said, a relatively average show. Yeah, it's kind of what I said again in that generally they gave us something I think we'll like or we're going to like. It's just 
kind of the execution to do it unannounced, uh, to do it um, not even announced at the beginning of the show either. Uh, it, it was like, oh, it's like they gave us Edge Randy Orton on, on a main event of Raw. I'm not going to complain about that. Do I think it would have been better if they said if Orton was really upset and he challenged Edge next week and said, let's finish this? And then they promoted it for next week. Yeah, but but, you know, I'm sure they have plans. This is the one time of year when I think they do have plans for several weeks and months out. So would Edge of would Edge and Orton at Elimination Chamber have made sense? Yeah, but maybe they have something else planned. So. Not going to complain too much because we got to see what will happen. Um, I like the, the the video package they did leading into the match. Um, very very good stuff. WWE's uh, video team remains undefeated. So yeah, it was good. I just it's one of those things again where I feel like it could have been uh, better, uh, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens. That's the thing, and that's really the main difference between SmackDown and Raw. It's on SmackDown you see things happen, and maybe you have a nitpick. Right. And, and you can kind of say, well, what if they had just done that instead? Like this little tiny thing. But generally, you're like, wow, they're really operating at like 9.5 out of 10. And they're nailing this storylines, booking one week to the next. Then you go over to Raw and you're like, well, the match was good, but it was unadvertised. They could have done it at a pay-per-view or they could have, could have announced it for last week. Sheamus, that was fine. But why didn't they put McIntyre to match in the main event and have Sheamus interfere there and do it so it was more impactful? Like there's just so many Things, uh, the, the Hurt Business thing, everything that with the Hurt Business. You're like, man, why is this faction, we'll talk about it in a little bit, why are they threatening about breaking up so quickly? Why is there dissension so early? Uh, the women's tag team titles, issues with that. Like, it's just what, every single segment on Raw, there's something to either note or complain about. Whereas with SmackDown, you actually have to actively find some of the negatives. You know, it, it, that's the difference, right. I think, between the two shows where on Raw, they smack you in the face and you're just like, oh, my God, why are they doing it this way? And speaking of that, let's talk about the Women's Tag Team Championship number one contender match coming out of nowhere. There was just a title match and there's brand new champions, but we need number one contenders right away. The first first show, you know, one day later, we have to have contenders. Uh, I thought this was out of nowhere, given that Asuka and Charlotte just lost the titles and aren't a real team, meaning they're not a team that was formed prior to getting their title match. Plus, Naomi and Lana is suddenly a team that just formed because they both returned and they're deserving of a number one contendership opportunity out of nowhere. Okay, so it was those two teams and then the one tag team on Raw that's a legitimate team besides the champions and we've been waiting to get a title opportunity, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. But, okay, so Asuka was a bit condescending backstage, upset they lost the titles at the Royal Rumble. I was a little bothered how she's the Raw Women's Champion, but everything they've been doing with Asuka is secondary to Charlotte in storyline. The, the storyline is Lacey Evans and Charlotte, and Charlotte losing the title. And Asuka's just kind of, there. Um, it's really been happening ever since the end of the feud, the long feud with Sasha Banks and Bailey. You have Asuka, this person who's been champion for, I think, over 250 of the last 300 days, something like that. And in the last four months, she's been secondary to Charlotte, secondary to Lana, and she hasn't had 
any singles challengers, I think since Zelina Vega. Remember, Zelina Vega fired by WWE. I don't think Asuka has had a singles challenger since then. I mean, she's had singles matches, but it was with people that were part of tag teams. Because they took Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and made them the women's tag team champions when they were sitting there waiting to be new challengers for Asuka. So they've completely sacrificed the Raw Women's Championship. And Asuka is like the fourth most important woman on Raw right now to Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and Charlotte Flair. I don't think that Asuka is being used terribly by WWE. She carried them throughout the pandemic, Chris. But, I mean, it's still going on, obviously, but through the, through the empty arena era, she's carried the women's division on Raw. But man, this is one of the best wrestlers in the world for women. How do you not have her getting title, giving title chances and, and defending her championship and fighting all comers? I, I don't understand what they're doing with Asuka. Well, it seems clear to me, and it's, it's, it's kind of been this way for a while, is that they don't think Asuka can carry a story whether that's because of the language barriers and stuff like that, they've always needed to, even when she's the champ, have her kind of revolve around somebody else who can maybe carry the load in their mind. I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think the right thing to do is have Asuka come out and kick somebody's butt or have a great match every week, every other week. That's how you get her over. Um, so yeah, she's the champ and they obviously respect her and Becky, you know, she wins money in the bank. Becky gives her this you know whole big thing. And and they've 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 put her on a pedestal where she's a big deal, but she's I don't think they're ever going to view her as like a top top person in the division. And, and maybe it's just simply because of the language stuff, but it's just clear that they don't feel that she can carry a story. So the so she often revolves around stories, some of which don't even directly uh, involve her. It's just, it's frustrating, particularly because she's champion. I mean, if, if she was not champion and they were kind of using her, you know, to heat up other people, then I'm okay with that. But this is someone who you've given this opportunity to, and you're putting the title in their hands ever since Becky left. And one of the reasons the Raw Women's Division has taken a dive recently is because they're not making all the matches they could have been making. Right. We could have had, I know, look, I know we criticize Nia Jax all the time. But Nia Jax is a legitimate foe for Asuka to overcome. Shayna Baszler. And they had a good match. Uh, of course, because Asuka has good matches with everyone. Asuka yeah. had a good match with Lana. I mean, yeah. it's, let's be honest. And then you have Asuka Shayna Baszler, which is an obvious main event women's type of match. And, and you would love to see them go after each other and maybe even put the title on Shayna. I mean, it's totally plausible to do that given what you've the way you've built up Shayna Baszler. But instead of that, they threw the women's tag team championships on the heels for no reason. Then they took it off of them just to give Charlotte a title when she came back for no reason. They've gone back to it and given them back to the heels. And then the tag team that we've been waiting this entire time to get the opportunity still doesn't get it. So we'll just keep going on here. I like that they at least gave a little bit of background for teaming Naomi and Lana together to have it make sense. They explained that they've been friends backstage and they started forming a relationship after they went head to head um, in, in the ring previously. I think it was on SmackDown. So I liked that they, again, Raw wasn't great, but they did use logic and storytelling to fill in some of these gaps. Naomi had a really strong hot tag against Charlotte. All the women traded moves without tagging at one point. Uh, Charlotte then hit natural selection uh, right as Ric Flair and Lacey, Lacey Evans came out. 
So she tagged herself out to tag Asuka in. Naomi caught Asuka with the rear view and then pinned the Raw Women's Champion to win a number one contendership for a different set of titles. <laughs> when they had another team in the ring, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, that could have eaten the pinfall. Also, as I said, that team is one we've been waiting to get a number one contendership. So if you're going to do that, why would you not have Mandy Rose or Dana Brooke be the one to beat Asuka and actually get the title opportunity we've been waiting for them to get? It seems like, based on all of that booking, they did it for a reason. And that, Chris, I I don't even want the words to come out of my mouth. But it seems like they are trying to build Charlotte as a face and are possibly on the verge of turning Asuka heel. Now, I'm not against Asuka being heel because heel Asuka in NXT was the best Asuka that we've ever had. So I'm not against it. But even if that's what they're doing, there was no good reason to have her lose here when she still has no challenger herself. Naomi has now just beaten the Raw Women's Champion, and she's getting a title opportunity for a different set of titles. Asuka has not had a challenger in five months. Zero point zero. And lastly, the idea of trying to force a face Charlotte down people's throats to possibly even beat a heel Asuka again at WrestleMania is nauseating if they go in that direction. Well, hold on, hold on. I know I'm working ahead. I know I'm working ahead. (laughs) I got it. Let's pause. Let's pause. You go talk about the match and the booking, then we'll talk about it. I don't, want right. you to get, I don't want you to get upset about something that hasn't happened or even, well, but, even close to happening Well, yet. Chris, wait, hold on. This this episode, we're talking about Raw, but we're also talking about the road to WrestleMania 37. So it's it's totally fine for us to go in that direction, but, but you're, you're right. you're talking about an Asuka heel turn, and, and Charlotte's oh. got a whole Lacey Evans feud to get through first. Oh, yeah, but I think it's pretty obvious of what they're doing with Asuka. When you consider the condescending look that she gave her backstage. She was she put all of the blame on Charlotte, and Charlotte, Charlotte is being it, made to look like a victim here by her father and Lacey Evans. But it was Charlotte's fault. I, I mean, oh, she wasn't in was. the wrong. So of course I, I, it don't, was. I don't know. I, mean, I, I thought they were just trying to get a little edge back on Asuka, but I, my, honestly, my thought coming out of this was, was um, Naomi may have a case for a women's title shot by she pinning Asuka. And, and and maybe they get it. Maybe they get a tag title match and lose because I don't think they're going to put the tag titles no. on, on Lana and Naomi. So maybe this end. Maybe they get a tag match next week or something and lose. But Naomi says, "Hey, I beat you, Oscar. I get a title shot." And and they go into an Oscar Naomi feud possibly. I, I mean, and and maybe that maybe that leads to a heel Oscar because of what you said. Uh, but I, I I don't know. Like I don't think Charlotte looked good coming out of Monday, tagging herself out to lose walking away and not showing any remorse. That didn't seem like that didn't exactly seem like face Charlotte to me. I I don't think they're making her like a squeaky clean baby face, but she clearly Lacey and Rick are the heels. Yeah. And clearly Oscar is getting agitated with Charlotte. So that leads me to believe that the direction that they're going to, that's the direction they're going to be going. I just don't think this is. I don't think even that is a is a face Charlotte uh, that 
people will want. And I don't think it's no one wants Charlotte a face Charlotte. Think, no one wants a face yeah. Charlotte in any form. That's, I, that's, I, the, that's the exact point I'm getting. At. And I, I think they know that. I think the point of this Lacey feud is to elevate Lacey more than anything else. You know, Charlotte went on that bit on Twitter a couple weeks back saying she spent most of 2020 basically getting other people over. And I feel like that's what this feud is supposed to do is basically just supposed to elevate Lacey Evans. I don't know where it goes from there. I, I'm not, I'm not all the way down yet that this is going to be face Charlotte beating heel Oscar as a triumphant champion at WrestleMania. It might happen. I don't think what you're saying is far fetched or anything, but I I think there's just a lot of things still at play here that we don't know where it's going to go. I have every hope in my heart that that is not their plan. Okay. To not, and and I don't mind Oscar being healed. Oscar can be healed tomorrow for all I care. She's great as a heel. So Go do it. And and WWE books heels better than they do faces. So maybe that's what she needs. But just having in my head that concept of Charlotte is clearly heading in a face direction. Asuka, it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong. I, well, I wouldn't, see- even say, I wouldn't even say face direction. She's been a face since she came back. Yes. Okay. But they're trying to make her, like, make you feel pity for her. Okay, they're trying. They're Largely. trying to really make her a face. But I don't think what happened on Monday does that. That's the thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I do. Maybe maybe, maybe they think she's being harassed by her father and his younger lover. She I mean, is, <laughs> but she's also just abandoning her partner and not even showing like remorse over it. It's weird. It, it's weird. Oh, yes. this is why it's it, honestly it's a little bit interesting what they're trying to do with Charlotte. But that's me, but but that's the creation of the conflict between her and Oscar. That, that this is what I'm getting at that yeah. leads to the it's two storylines in one one she starts dealing with Evans then maybe even when they have their match let's say it's at elimination chamber maybe Oscar comes down and gives Charlotte a big fu costs her the match and that starts their road to WrestleMania there's a they could easily do that and look the other thing that that we're missing here is coming out of the Royal Rumble on our instant analysis show we tried to work these storylines forward to WrestleMania and one thing you and I talked about, I think it was I, something I proposed, is, you know, I do think that Bianca Belair is going to wind up facing Sasha Banks. And what I think is going to happen, or what I thought was going to happen on the Raw side, was Rhea Ripley involved somehow in a WrestleMania match for that title. Whether it is Flair beating Asuka soon and doing a rematch with Ripley at WrestleMania, or possibly a triple threat between those three. I thought because of that, Ripley was conspicuous by her absence on Monday night. I don't feel like there's any reason she should be over on SmackDown. They don't need her for the women's division, number one. And number two, they have the Royal Rumble winner over there. I don't think that there's a reason why Bianca Belair would choose either an Asuka or a Charlotte over on Raw over Sasha freaking Banks on SmackDown. So I thought... It was curious that Rhea Ripley wasn't on TV. What about it's you? It's a good point. I, I mean, if you put her on SmackDown, you've got you've got um, Bianca, Rhea Ripley, Sasha, and Bailey all on the same bit. That's four of your top five women, arguably, on the roster. Plus, I, you I, still have Ruby Riot and, and um, Liv Morgan, who yeah. you want to push somehow. You know. Yeah. So we'll see on Friday. I guess if Rhea shows up, um, I hope. Not, I guess. I mean, I wanted her to be on the main roster, but I wanted her to be on Raw. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. You're right. It was She was noticeably absent after a major uh, rumble moment. Look, I, I will be the first to admit, maybe I am being pessimistic with the women's storyline. 
but I just think I have a handle on the way this is going and don't really love it. Something I surprisingly did like was Ms. TV on Monday. So Bad Bunny, still with WWE, past Royal Rumble, shows up to Tropicana Field in a Bugatti and they showed him talking backstage with Damian Priest. The Miz and John Morrison praised him in the ring during Miz TV, apologized to him, uh, but he did not apologize back. Miz and Morrison then offered to make Bad Bunny a real WWE superstar as long as he could get their record made, I guess through his recording company. Bad Bunny said he wasn't interested and brought out Damian Priest, who knocked out the Miz with one punch. Then we get a Damian Priest versus Miz match. Unlike Keith Lee, by comparison, Priest had the same look, the same music from NXT in his Raw debut. I don't think he was wearing like the same jacket. That's a minor thing that who really cares. I love the presentation of Damian Priest. He came across looking like a badass and a legitimate star who deserved to be there. Yep. Uh, Bad Bunny talked a lot of trash during the match. Miz kicked out of the Broken Arrow. Morrison ran a distraction. And then Bad Bunny hit Morrison with his microphone. Priest then hit the reckoning on Miz for the win. Later on backstage, Edge walked up to Damian Priest, gave him a huge veteran rub, very similar to the Undertaker John Cena deal for his Royal Rumble work. He said, we need guys like you over here, which is such a compliment for Edge to say that to Damian Priest. That was very cool. I think I was on the money, Chris, about a possible Priest Bad Bunny versus Miz and Morrison tag team match, celebrity match at WrestleMania. I think that's really good publicity for WWE with a younger Latin audience if they do that. And Bad Bunny has done a really good job so far. I saw a couple people tweeting back at me saying they didn't like him on Raw. I thought it was a very good celebrity appearance. He didn't talk too much. The things he said were clear and made sense. He got involved well in the match. He didn't miss his cue. I just thought this was a massive success for Damian Priest and for Bad Bunny. Yeah, it's like I said on the Rumble post show is that if you have a celebrity who like clearly likes wrestling and wants to be a part of it and takes it seriously when they're on there, then I'm cool with it. You know, bad. I, I again, I didn't know anything about Bad Bunny outside of his Corona commercials. I know he's a huge Latin music star. It's just it's not in my purview. Uh, so, so this has been fine, and, and it works with Damian Priest, who's uh puerto rican and he's also 38 so it's like you know they got to get moved this isn't like a developmental deal he's got to come up and get in the picture and start doing stuff and that's why the edge uh, the edge handshake was was good stuff miz and morrison they're generally they've been funny throughout this i like morrison dropping spanish it, it takes you back to his uh johnny mundo days mm-hmm. uh, lucha underground stuff like that and it, it's an interesting it, it's a nice um it's just a nice touch that you feel like he can connect with Bad Bunny or whoever kind of in that way, like you know, he can understand him or, or, or whatever. So, you know, this is obviously just a mid-card celebrity feud. It's not like I expect anything more out of the people involved. It's, I know Miz still has money in the bank and we'll see, but no, I think this is a perfectly fine, you know, celebrity mid-card feud as on, on the road to WrestleMania. It's just impressive that, I mean, Damian Priest is making his Raw debut and no, he's not getting the push Keith Lee did with Randy Orton, you know, but he's working with a big celebrity, a former WWE champion and a guy in John Morrison, you know, multi-time tag team champion. People like him a lot. He's mid-card champion. Those are legit dudes. He's not, he's not coming in and beating Grand Metalik. Or King Corbin. 
It's not a or, King, or King Corbin, Corbin like or, or going through Dolph Ziggler. Like, and I'm not saying Ziggler is not the level of Miz. They are. They're they're pretty similar. But or a lot. Elias is really the better example. He's yeah, not yeah, coming yeah. in and beating Elias or Jackson Riker. He's coming in and beating the Miz straight up. Um, and again, working with a big celebrity. That's a good rub for Damian Priest. I'm a big fan of his. I I, I love his. I've said it uh, on our NXT shows for those that don't listen to that and only listen to WWE. He has some machismo to him and he just has a swagger and he's super cool. He did idolize Razor Ramon, Scott Hall growing up. He does uh, the Razor's Edge as one of his finishers. He just has a great moveset. He's like a combination between Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. If you took like the best of both of those guys and put them yeah. together, plus athleticism that neither of those guys had, that's Damian Priest. It, he... I like him a lot. I don't know whether he will ever be WWE champion, but I would not put it past. If Alberto, if Alberto Del Rio can be WWE champion, Damian Priest can be WWE champion. Yeah, That's I mean, I think, I think it's a different time compared to back then when, when, when they had a world heavyweight title and it was a little bit different. But no, I mean, Priest looks like and carries himself like a top tier guy. I, yep. I, yeah, like you said, maybe he's not the champion at the end. Uh, but but he looks like a guy who's got a bright future and they got to get moving on him. Now, like if you wanted to say, hey, the, the, they're not doing anything with the U.S. title. Damian Priest should be in on that. Yeah, sure. Maybe. And maybe Absolutely. he will be. And we'll get to the U.S. title in a minute. But I, I, I think I think he's in a good I think he's in a good spot here uh, with, with where he's debuting on the roster. Hey, look, if Bad Bunny's real and he's serious talking about like a run in WWE, I'm not saying where he's going to wrestle all the time, but. He wants to be around for a few months. Look, they had MVP on commentary talking shit about Bad Bunny, which I thought was really interesting during the show. Maybe this Bad Bunny match is going to happen at Elimination Chamber, not at WrestleMania. And maybe you get Bobby Lashley versus Damian Priest with Bad Bunny and Damian Priest corner and MVP in Lashley's corner at WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, we Bobby Lashley's worked with celebrities before, different type of celebrity. Um, but but that's not out of the realm of possibility either. So I, I think, yeah, the US championship for Damian Priest, that's a great goal and it's achievable. I, I think that is fantastic. I think he's at minimum a B-side main eventer who will get title opportunities. And I don't know if he'll main events pay-per-view, but he'll fight for the WWE or Universal Championship a couple times at a minimum. And I think there's a good chance that he wins it at some point. Yeah, so, same. big fan. Uh, speaking of the Hurt Business, we might as well go and talk about them. We had a United States Championship match, Bobby Lashley against Riddle. So another U.S. title match for Bobby Lashley. That last two minutes, does, nothing really happens, and there's a disqualification. Lashley had the Hurt Lock over the ropes on Riddle, and he did refuse to release it, so the referee called the DQ. Lashley then put the Hurt Lock in again on Riddle at ringside as MVP yelled for him to stop. Lashley stopped. Then he did it a third time and threw Riddle over the barricade. MVP at first was upset. Then he smiled and rubbed his hands together, seeing the aggressiveness. Riddle later sold confusion or a concussion or something. He didn't know what happened to him. We just can't get a real U.S. title match or anything substantial with Bobby Lashley. I'm, I'm complaining about Asuka not getting used and, and not you know, defending her title. Lashley's been consistently used. But this guy has not had like a 18-minute U.S. title match with a real finish, I think, since he's won the damn title. It is incredibly frustrating. He's awesome. They're, they've built up Lashley in a great way. Imagine how well he'd be built up 
if he was actually wrestling and defending the title. Uh, now, granted, I think the end result of this, and I have thought for a while, is going to be Riddle beating Lashley. But this guy can't even get three minutes with Lashley. So I don't get what they're doing. It's annoying me. I don't think it's helping Riddle at all. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. And ultimately, there's only one way to describe this. I put in my notes <laughs> watching the show in all caps. Why book this title match if this is what you're going to do? Like, why would you do this to anybody involved? It doesn't help anything. It doesn't advance anything. It's it's sort of like stuff we've seen before. And, and like, why put yourself in this situation? This is twice now they've had a title match on Raw, I believe, with with nonsense endings. And it's like, why? <laughs> I don't understand anything about this. It, it's like... It's like they sometimes forget Lashley's around. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Every week they have Riddle talking to people backstage. And I just, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I, I do not understand any of this. It's incredibly frustrating. It really is. Actually, it's, it's strange because the opposite was the case of the Raw Tag Team Championship match, which I found to be one of the best segments on the entire show. Despite Lucha House Party, I mean, they kind of had a reason to get a title opportunity, but not a good enough reason to get one that was completely unannounced. Like, it, this probably should have been announced for next week. But Raw Tag Team Championship, her business against Lucha House Party. Lucha House Party got in a ton of offense, and Grand Metalik, holy cow. I mean, we say it all the time about him that he's a great wrestler, but he really showed out in this match, maybe more than any match he's had that has not been on 205 Live ton of insane springboards on a hot tag. Metalik got caught by Cedric Alexander. He was nearly pinned. Then Lucha House Party did a double tag for a splash by Lince Dorado and a springboard senton by Metalik that would have won the titles for them if not for a Shelton Benjamin breakup. Alexander was in the corner looking ready to get the job done when Benjamin tagged himself in and hit pay dirt to get the victory. Alexander was pissed as usual. Uh, I thought this was a fantastic match and a very well-booked piece of business, no pun intended, showing the continued dissension within her business while simultaneously getting Lucha House Party over again as a legitimate tag team. They keep getting these opportunities on first on SmackDown, now on Raw, where you see them in these tag team title matches and you're like, holy crap, these guys are great. We know they're great. They're allowed to show it. They should be champion, but they never freaking win the title. Despite that, I was completely entertained by this match. Again, I thought it was one of the three or four best segments on the entire show. Yeah, it, it was something that was exactly what it needed to be. It, it, it just feels like tying it in with the Lashley stuff is that they can only tell one Hurt Business story at a time. And sometimes every once in a while it's Bobby Lashley Riddle, but most of the time it's Cedric Alexander and dissension in the ranks and it's like they can't they they just they won't do two different things at the same time so apparently this is the story that we're going with now for hurt business and it's it's a good story it, it works it's fine um i don't want i don't want them to break up because i love them as a faction but they're telling the story at least which they're not doing with lashley anymore and uh yeah that, that's just kind of how i see it they're, they're not doing two things at once with them when i think that's kind of the whole point of a faction is that you can do multiple things with them. And mm -hmm. this is where we're at. For sure. Uh, now we had Xavier Woods against Mustafa Ali. 
Continuing his battle with every single member of Retribution, they aired actually probably Ali's worst promo. Um, And it wasn't his fault even because Retribution was like in a parking garage standing above Ali. I wish I had the audio. I should have cut it. They were like growling like they were animals as he spoke. Like they were pacing back and forth and growling as Ali's trying to cut a promo. And they only they only shared like 15 seconds of it on television, which is what they seem to always do with these. I just found it exceedingly super weird and strange. I, I, uh, initially, I initially had it on mute and it looked like a music video. It was, it was so <laughs> freaking weird. Uh, Kofi Kingston was then at ringside, despite last night saying that doctors had not cleared him to compete. But he was at ringside and jumped off the ring apron. So I guess he's cleared now after not being cleared 24 hours earlier. Uh, the match, though, between Woods and Mustafa Ali, it was really good wrestling. I loved the work that they did in the ring. Woods nearly won with a discus clothesline, but T-Bar broke it up. And then he did win with a crucifix pinfall. Now, we can talk about this match. But, Chris, I don't know if you got the opportunity to watch Raw Talk. Did you? No. Okay. Well, Xavier Woods cut an early promo of the year candidate on Raw Talk. Because what he's now done is he has gone through the four male members of Retribution, which leaves just one other member of Retribution left for him to potentially fight. And let's just say Xavier Woods wants to fight that person. Guess what else I'm impressed by? What you impressed by? Give her to me. Right here. Give her to me. Hell yeah. Put the camera on me. Let me see the red light. Put the camera on me right here, right now. I am 2-2 against Retribution. That means next week I face Reckoning. Let's go. Let's go. right here. If you do not book Xavier Woods against Reckoning, next week you are a C-O-W-A-R-D. That's So, I mean, that's just incredible. And you guys only heard the audio. You really need to go see the video because Xavier Woods' eyes are bugging out of his head. Him and Kofi are bouncing up and down on their stools. You have Kofi, while Xavier Woods is doing the promo on Reckoning, he's doing the Batista give me what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The entire thing is just, I don't know if it's going to end up being the promo of the year, but it's at least the comedy promo of the year. Xavier's incredible. Dude, Mustafa Ali, you can talk about it in a moment if you want. I want Xavier Woods Reckoning. While we were taping this podcast, Scrap Daddy Adam Pierce said that it is being run up the flagpole. So there is <laughs> a non-zero chance that next week on Raw, we get a actual real intergender match, Xavier Woods against Reckoning. I want it. I think I can speak for you saying that you want it. Mia Yim, who is Reckoning, 
has had multiple intergender matches throughout her career, so she can absolutely do it. But I liked the Ali match. I actually thought that they did a really good job with Woods and Ali and Retribution there, and that was just incredible. Well, we we just had a intergender match on SmackDown a couple weeks ago with Sasha Banks and Reginald, so it's not... I mean a real one, but yeah. Yeah, but so it, it's not out of the... the um, it's not out of the realm of possibility for WWE. The only other thing I would say was, like we were just saying, with Keith Lee not being in the Rumble and me and dealing with possible COVID stuff, maybe that quarantine, whatever it is, uh, is over by then. But uh, no, I, I think it'd be... I have enjoyed the New Day Reckoning uh, stuff. I like that Reckoning is basically becoming Mustafa Ali plus kind of his lackeys, essentially. I think that's a good formula for that. You mean Retribution? Yes, what did I say? Reckoning, but I was just, I was yeah, clarifying. Yeah, retrib- because- yeah, you're right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to correct. I was actually just no, clarifying. you're right, you're right, you're right. No, right. The, well, the reason I was clarifying is because, unfortunately, they've kind of forgotten that Reckoning's on the show. By the way, another person who could have challenged Asuka throughout the last five months. They, they've kind of forgotten that she's there to wrestle other women. And it's a little frustrating that she's with them, but not used in that way. And it's always the concern when you have a woman in a faction like that, where she's just kind of there and forgotten about. Um, now, obviously, she's had COVID the last two weeks, so that's why she hasn't been. That's a different situation. But I, I want to see Reckoning get used. And, and when they do utilize her, she is the only other person there that really gets a voice. Now, along with Mustafa Ali, it's it's Ali mostly, it's like Ali 75% of the time, her 20% of the time, and the other guys 5% of the time. So I'm excited about it. Look, we don't know if it's going to happen, but this is one of those things that maybe you can will into reality. There is a tweet storm at Adam Pierce. This thing got shared very heavily last night uh, once Xavier Woods cut the promo. I don't think, again, I think I don't think it's without the realm of possibility, out of the realm of possibility for us to get Xavier Woods Reckoning next week. And I am all for it. I want it. Yep. I think it'd be Give fun. me Reckoning and Xavier Woods. <laughs> Give me that next week. All right. A couple more things and we will get out of here. Uh, Jeff Hardy and Carlito defeated Elias and Jackson Riker. You could tell this was probably unplanned since Carlito was wearing identical gear to the Royal Rumble, you'd think he'd bring at least a second set of gear. Uh, Carlito hit the backstabber, and Hardy followed with the Swanton Bomb for the win. Commentary spent a large portion of that match putting Carlito over. I think if he was going to be a full-time WWE superstar, they probably would have let him cut a promo or said something to kind of advance his character or explain why he's back or anything like that. But it was kind of just a match. And in that way, it was very similar again to MVP one year ago in in a similar situation. I don't know if Carlito has re-signed after 10 years. I don't know if he is going to be used like MVP. But I did see a report that he is getting an opportunity to be a backstage producer. So this really does align with what happened with MVP a year ago. I still think, again, Carlito looks great. The fact that this guy is 245 pounds is insane. He's cut like all hell. And for some reason, the Jeff Hardy Carlito tag team worked. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I, I mean, maybe he's in some sort of tryout period where they'll give him a little bit of a, a a couple of TV spots and see how it goes. And maybe they sign him to a wrestling deal from there. Or maybe he becomes a producer, like you said. But yeah, no, it's 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 a fresh face. 
um, you know, it, it was a good match. He's he's been enjoyable to watch so far, and kind of see where it goes. So you know, the Elias Jeff Hardy thing is whatever we've kind of dealt with it for a long time, but um, oh, so yeah. it, it was an it, it was it was a worthy follow up to his surprise uh, return. Now we have uh, Alexa Bliss defeating Nikki Cross. At first, I was a little annoyed that they were running this match back again without any new storyline development, but they did a really good job developing the storyline during the match. Bliss was acting like a child and doing hopscotch and pissing off Nikki. Nikki basically said, why did you want this? Insinuating that Bliss saw Cross come back at the Royal Rumble and wanted to fight her again. And she didn't understand why she was doing it. Uh, Cross beat Bliss in the corner. And when the camera turned away, she transformed from the Firefly Funhouse outfit she was wearing back into the goddess who acted like she was just starting the match and that, you know, things were starting from the beginning. Then she very soon after transformed back and Cross freaked out a bit. Bliss hit a twisted Sister Abigail, which is what I think they're calling it. It's a Sister Abigail, but like twisting into a DDT instead, which is very cool. It was a great new finisher for her. Uh, but the camera missed it because it was completely zoomed in on her face. So they had to come back afterward and catch it in replay. The same thing happened in the Edge and Randy Orton match. But I did think this entire thing was pretty interesting. Again, I, it's the same warning I give to our listeners every time we talk about this. There are some of you who hate the Fiend stuff. I'll never convince you to like it. And I accept that. I have seen bad stuff involving the Fiend. We all have. The Swamp Fight, the Goldberg match, that type of shit. The, the Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match. This is not bad. This is not bad. It's interesting. It's different. Uh, and I still continue to think it's doing a lot for Alexa Bliss long term. So for me, it's a W. When this popped up uh, on the card or the promo image, I, I was really interested because of what we saw in the Alexa Oscar match last week, which was Alexa turning into old Alexa and looking scared, looking terrified, looking like she didn't know what was going on before changing back. And so now you bring in the Nikki situation. I wanted to see if we were going to get something like that. Because remember, last time we saw Nikki, uh, Alexa turned into old Alexa, but it was like a trick. And I, I didn't like that as much. I really liked what they teased with the Oscar match, which was she is uh, been taken over by the Fiend and the old Alexa is in there sometimes trying to get out sometimes. And this match was kind of in the middle. We, we got the old Alexa. And there was no, but there was no acknowledgement of the fiend, but it was also not a trick. So I, I don't really know where it's going. I like the idea again of the story that that Nikki could tr eventually try to save Alexa by getting the old Alexa out and banishing the fiend, doing an exorcism, whatever you want to call it. So this was not a step forward in that, but it wasn't a step back either. I, I do like the idea of. Alexa switching. You've got the Thunderdome. You can do these weird things. Like th th this is how you take advantage of the unique situation you're in. Um, so it was fine. I don't know if we're going to get any more of Alexa Nikki now, but um, it, it was okay. I think there's, I just, I think there's a really, really cool, unlike anything we've ever seen story they could do with Alexa here. And they, they've kind of dipped their toes in it a couple times, but haven't gone all in yet. It's going to be interesting to see how this continues to develop, not just with Alexa, but with The Fiend, with Orton. Does Alexa wind up with her own storyline for WrestleMania? Is she jammed into 
the Fiend storyline, do they go so far as to do a Randy Orton, Alexa Bliss feud? Because the Fiend's still not back. Let's not forget where maybe during it, Bliss transforms into the Fiend. Does it go that far? I don't know what they're doing, but I see a lot of people are sick of it. I'm just not. Again, there's things that are bad, you know, including recently some things have not been good. But this to me isn't one of them. It's just unique and different. And it's it's a three hour raw. We get five hours of WWE television a week. This is the one thing that is truly different. And I latch onto that because I, I like creativity and I like them trying new things. This is the time to try something new. The Fiend has proven it can work in certain circumstances, especially when it's booked well and smart. And last year at WrestleMania, The Fiend was one of the best things on the entire show. Two nights. The, the things people remember are out of, let's say, the four matches people really remember and care about. One of them involves The Fiend. So, I mean, that, that's how I look at it. I'm very curious to see how they continue and push that forward and how Alexa Bliss remains involved. Since you're, by the way, the guy on this show who always talks about like video views on YouTube and all that type of stuff. So I wasn't able to look up the YouTube views, but I did just see come across my Twitter, the Bad Bunny splash on Miz and Morrison has 11 million views on Instagram. Ooh. So that is what you're talking about when you say WWE needs to kind of reach out to some celebrities and, and bring some of that excitement into the product. People like Bad Bunny and Cardi B that reach a younger audience, those are the people they need to work with. And obviously this Bad Bunny thing is working, yep. at least it, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, that same thing has 1.1 million YouTube views, which is only slightly below... Um, uh, actually, it might be... It's one of the highest. It, it's one of the top... might be the top uh, uh, view, uh, videos from the Royal Rumble that, that WWE has on YouTube. There you go. So it's certainly working and good for them. Trying Finally... Figuring that out. I did have two quick things SmackDown-wise to talk about before we get out of here. We had King Corbin defeat Dominic Mysterio over on SmackDown. Uh, Mysterio attacked Corbin as he was walking down to the ramp. WWE cut to commercial right away. Corbin dominated most of the match and kept looking over at Ray. Corbin caught a 619 and ducked a couple of moves before winning clean over Dominic with end of days. I just happened to be enjoying Corbin's work with the Mysterios. But it is frustrating that it was almost identical to the week prior when Ray basically told Dominic, if you don't win your way, which was two weeks ago, you're going to win my way. But it was the same way two weeks in a row. So maybe they just needed a filler match. I don't know. But it did end with Ray avoiding a post-match beatdown from Corbin and getting a couple licks on him. So it seems like they're going in that direction. I don't know how much I'm going to remain in, uh, enthused for Corbin to keep going after Mysterio, especially with his two forgotten sons that are the, I don't even remember what they are, the something of the lone wolf, the, the knights of the lone wolf. Hey, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, they haven't been there in two weeks. I don't know if it's COVID related or not. Uh, Seth Rollins is now back. I, I, I pray we don't go right back into a Seth Rollins and Mysterio feud. <laughs> I still ask, where the hell is Buddy Murphy? So these are all things that I'm I'm wondering about. And I just kind of found the Corbin work with Dominic to be 
I don't know, somewhat refreshing maybe is the word. I, I like that Corbin is so good that they trust him in a role of trying to build up this really young guy in Dominic. And really the only guy who's gotten that opportunity otherwise has been Rollins. So that's how much they care about Dominic. It's what they think of Corbin. And I just thought they had a nice little match uh, Friday night. Yeah, it's Corbin against guy, against smaller, quicker guys is is always good stuff. I mean, Corbin's a really good worker in that sense. Um, so it's his stuff with Ray, his stuff with Dominic has been pretty good. The downside with Corbin we always get, which is not his fault, is that they run the same thing back over and over and over with him, which already feels like they're starting to do here. And I, I took a step back and I kind of thought about this, which was, well, what is the real purpose of this? This isn't a title feud. This is barely even a mid-card feud. The, the point of this is to get Dominic reps. It's to get him more experience. And there are no house shows going on. If, if there was a house show circuit, it would be Corbin and Dominic every every night. And, and we wouldn't see them every single time. So they have to kind of play these things out on television. And so as we as this feud goes on, and I don't expect it to get into all that much, and it's probably going to get repetitive like all things Corbin does, which again, it's not his fault. But I, I feel like if, if you look at this feud as the main point is getting Dominic more experience, then I think they are accomplishing that right now. And I continue to maintain, and I will maintain this for a long time, Baron Corbin is underrated. He's he gets real heat. He's good in the ring. His moveset's really good. They just got to figure out a way to make him a character that people want to see. Maybe they need to turn Corbin face. I don't know how they would do it, but maybe that's what he needs. Like we talk so much. I've talked for years. Everyone who's listened to me talk about wrestling on, on, on podcast. I talked for years about WWE needing to turn Roman Reigns heel because once that heel run is over and they flip him back to face, he's going to be the biggest thing in the entire industry. And it's happening. We're in the middle of it right now. It's great. With Corbin, you may need to go in that other direction. He's never going to be the biggest heel in the industry. But they need to change the story with him. They have to change the direction of his career. And right now, the direction of his career is, I get into feuds with guys. I give them good wrestling matches. But things that should last one month go, go on three or four months. And it always is drawn out too long. And my character gets really annoying. Whether it, they, they had the lone wolf, they never stuck with it. They went to the general manager authority thing with the TGI Friday's vest, that whole weird thing that they did. And now he's the king. And king, the king has been, I think he's been the king for now 14 months at this point. Yeah, so yeah. they have to have another king of the ring. So it's just elongating and stretching things out with Corbin just because they know it takes time. I think what they need to do with Corbin is turn this guy face. I've I've never interviewed him, but I've heard him interviewed numerous times. He's a likable guy. He has a lot of personality. I would make him a face. Maybe even like you have Rollins come back and start up with the Mysterios and you have Corbin say, no, screw that. Turns face against Rollins somehow and they go in that direction. I don't know, but they got to move away from Corbin being King Corbin. And I think they got to move away from him being a heel. Corbin is such a, I don't call him company guy, but he's such a reliable guy to them that they take him for granted. I, I they mean, do. They, they just, they have him do the same things over and over because they know he'll deliver at a certain level every time. And that's all they need from him. And they don't try to do more. They don't try to do less. 
And I think he's, I agree. I think he's, he's talented enough to deserve uh, different kinds of stuff. And then last but not least on the show, it's not something we need to spend a lot of time on. And I didn't cut the audio clip, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Daniel Bryan and Paul Heyman. Because even though I'm in a depressed state right now regarding what I believe to be the WrestleMania matches, again, uh, just to repeat from earlier, we spoke about it at the beginning of the show. It seems to me with Edge not announcing or really zeroing in on McIntyre on Raw, it really makes me worried that we're going to get Edge and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And if that ends up happening, they're just really losing an incredible opportunity to tell a story with Daniel Bryan. Because on Talking Smack, Friday, you know, less than 48 hours before the Royal Rumble, Bryan had a great rapport with Heyman and asked him, meaning Heyman, if at any point in Bryan's career, Heyman thought Bryan was the best in the world. Heyman said yes and no because he always believed Bryan could be the best at any given time, but he never actually was. Bryan then called back to the 2015 Royal Rumble and the entire storyline with Roman Reigns, saying he got booed because Reigns has and still doesn't wrestle with his heart, he being Reigns. And Brian was the one who got cheered because he was coming back and fans wanted to see him and he was at the top of his game. It was just a great conversation between two pros of storytelling and wrestling. And Brian still found some time in this segment to get over other people (laughs) because he brings in Alpha Academy. Did you see this? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I did not see this. I'm interested in this. He brings in Alpha Academy and he starts talking about their training regimen. And Otis, from behind, grabs Paul Heyman in a bear hug and starts humping him (laughs) on a chair. And the entire segment was incredible. Again, from the fun of Otis and Chad Gable being there, and Gable was pretty good on the mic, to Brian and Paul Heyman cutting a really serious promo. Heyman is incredible on Talking Smack. But maybe one of the reasons I'm so pessimistic about the Royal Rumble into WrestleMania storylines and Edge winning the Royal Rumble, even though I did think it was the second best choice, is this Daniel Bryan storyline. Man, it's ready-made. It's sitting on a silver freaking platter for Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. The fans want it. It's obvious. And they have a guy in Edge who could easily, easily work with Drew McIntyre and create a good storyline. But it's just doesn't seem to be the direction that they're going. So, well, well, hold on. We don't know that. It doesn't seem to be. You're, you're, very, you're very pessimistic. You, you, you like if you had to, I mean, if you had to bet right now, would you say Edge Roman is more likely to happen than Edge McIntyre? If I had to put money on it, yes. That's, See, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I, wouldn't, believe that. I wouldn't. Because, because they didn't give any indication Monday night that, that would be the direction. Generally, they, they set up the whole promo and, and McIntyre are talking about when he heard Edge all, back. All Edge, ever, all Edge ever said is, hey, I'll make a decision at some point, then you'll know. Yeah, but that's 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 they often do that. They didn't, but they usually create at least a little bit of angst. I don't know. I, we'll I, 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 I still have faith that it's going to be McIntyre Edge for, for, for that reason. I hope you're right. I truly hope you're right. I do. So. I do. 
But yeah. anyway, regardless, I, go, I, I, go I, watch Talking Smacks. Yes. Speaking of Edge, uh, I wanted to bring this up. I wrote this down after the Rumble. I forgot to mention it on our Rumble uh, post-show. Um, have you seen Money Plane? I have seen Money Plane with Kelsey Grammer and Edge, yes. <laughs> and he beats Kelsey Grammer, a.k.a. Darius Rice III, a.k.a. the Rumble. So that's two Edge oh, that's Rumble right. wins. That's two Edge Rumble wins. That's in, right. In, uh, I, I was wondering if we should do like a, maybe, maybe not, because I don't know if we can put ourselves through it again, but like a watch-along episode to Money Plane. It's a hilariously campy, <laughs> dumb movie. Highly recommend Money Plane. I've made a lot of memes out of it. Uh, I put really Money Plane on... I put money plane on expecting a B movie. It's a D movie. Not, not in terms of, I mean, yes, in terms of quality, but also just, man, it's bad. Like it's, it's campy. Kelsey Grammer is incredible though. Kelsey Grammer is incredible, but the rest of that movie is difficult (laughs) to watch. Hopefully though, this episode of the getting over wrestling podcast was not difficult to listen to because it is our goal to deliver the highest quality in professional wrestling audio. So that's it for today. We just, Broke down the fallout from the Royal Rumble, the beginnings of the road to WrestleMania 37. A little bit of a shorter episode than normal, but hey, I think the Silver King and vintage Chris Vanini needed a little bit of a break after going over 90 minutes with our Royal Rumble instant analysis. Do not forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star rating and review. And do not forget to tune in later this week when we break down everything from AEW Dynamite and NXT. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, saying goodbye. And that means there's just one more person left to help you sign up. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.